following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to come together on an evening like this and to be able to have your word and to ponder and to consider um, what the truth of your word and the hope of the gospel would say to us on a topic that we are confronted daily with in a sinful world, and that is the topic of forgiveness. And so, Lord, as we would search out your word, as we would consider these things, may your spirit lead and guide us into truth and And may we, Lord, leave um, feeling maybe just a little bit more equipped, not only in our own hearts and minds, but also, Lord, um, in how we can minister with your word uh, to those who are hurt and to those who are struggling. And so we thank you for this time and thank you most of all for the indescribable gift of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, when I have the opportunity to do a workshop like this, let me just invite you to listen for a moment uh, and set the stage for what it is that we're going to be studying. And so the topic that we have before us is when it is hard to let go, helping those who forgive. And so if you were anticipating another workshop, I'll count to five, you can get up and you can go. (laughs) But if you were coming here uh, to uh, learn about that, what I had put there in kind of the synopsis of our time together is this. We know... God calls his people to forgive others as the Lord has forgiven them. As counselors, we recognize that forgiving someone who has wronged us is a powerful demonstration of mercy and grace. And yet, many who offer forgiveness struggle not going back to the sin of the other person to really treat them and fellowship with them as truly forgiven. And so this seminar is intended to help equip individuals to minister to those that find themselves struggling with forgiveness that they have granted. Now that's the nuance tonight. The nuance is coming and looking at forgiveness from the standpoint of helping those, maybe even ourselves, with living in the forgiveness that we have granted. Because what I found in counseling is most people understand that God's Word calls them to forgive, but like Beth, for instance, who came to me a number of years ago. She was in her mid-twenties, and she came to me, and she was sharing with me her struggles with depression, but in the midst of talking with her about the depression that she was struggling with, it became apparent that she had even deeper struggles, and one of the struggles that she had was with her mom. And she told me in the midst of our conversation that years ago, she and her mom, when she was in junior high, had been having a conversation that had escalated into a full-blown argument. Tempers were flaring. Her mom got angry. She got angry. And eventually it got to the point where her mom got so frustrated that she said words that I know later on she regretted. She looked at her daughter and she said, I hate you to her daughter. Those words cut like a knife in her daughter's heart. And the mom knew instantaneously what she did. In fact, Beth recounted to me later on how she came back, how her mom came back to her later in the day. In fact, not too long after they had had the argument, she looked at her daughter and with all the sincerity say, it was absolutely wrong of me to say what I said. Will you please forgive me? And Beth, in that moment, granted her mom forgiveness. She said, Mom, yes, I forgive you. 
But some 10 years later, here was Beth sitting and talking with me, and she could remember that instance as though it was yesterday, and she was still struggling, and she was still hurting over it, and she said those words that I have heard many times in counseling with others, I just don't know if I've really forgiven her. And then there's Eric. Eric came to me about four years after he had found out that his wife had had an affair. Uh, I, along with some others on the staff, had ministered to Eric and his family right after the affair that his wife had had. And so when Eric came to me four years later, he was recounting just the difficulties that he had had over those four years. And and despite the fact that his wife had come and asked for forgiveness early on, and despite the fact that he had said, I forgive her, and actually had demonstrated what was necessary for reconciliation, still came to me four years later and says, I just don't know if I've actually forgiven my wife. You see, as counselors, we face these situations often, at least I find, that people struggle with the forgiveness that they have often granted. And just to give you a little bit more background on both of those stories, and there are others, but due to time, I'm going to limit it to those. Both of those individuals that came to me with their situations, each one of them was a professing Christian. And not just a professing Christian, but each one of them was faithful in attending church, faithful as a part of church life and community. But each one of them came still struggling with this concept of forgiveness. Someone had wronged them, and it just kept playing in their minds over and over again. And so while they had extended forgiveness, at least verbally, to those who had asked it after a period of time, they began to question, have I really forgiven them? And so that's what I want to come and I want to address and and hopefully use God's word as, as a map to help us understand how do we minister to those, maybe even our own hearts and minds here today, with this concept of forgiveness. After we have said that we forgive and yet we come back and we still struggle with the emotions and the thoughts of the sin that someone has has done. Now, to begin with, we want to be really clear, I think, about what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. And so there's a couple of passages. There's more that we could look at. But I want to just read to you four, just right off the bat. You can mark these down and check me later on it. But Ephesians chapter 4.32. If you're uh, somebody who's been involved in biblical counseling, you'll know these passages. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Are you ready for this? As God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, Paul picks up on the same theme. He talks about us bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Mark 11.25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. That's Jesus now talking. And then Jesus again in Luke 17, 3 through 4 says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, guess what it says? You must forgive. Each of these verses makes it pretty clear that God calls us to forgive those who have sinned against us. In fact, Forgiving those who sin against us is actually a command of God. And to not do so is an act of disobedience against 
him. Like, just on the surface, when you read those verses, like every scholar, everybody that you read, they'll come and they'll say that. When somebody comes and they repent, God calls us as believers to forgive. To not do so is an act of obedience. But here's the thing. When somebody comes to you, like Beth or Eric come, knowing these verses does not necessarily move us to offer forgiveness. You don't just come to somebody necessarily. There might be certain instances where it gets to that point, but they come and they're broken and they're struggling. And you say, well, God's word says forgive, so you have to forgive. If you don't do so, it's an act of disobedience and you're probably going to hell. No, we don't want to run right to that, okay? (laughs) Just want to see if you're paying attention. So as a counselor, God has put us in a place where somebody is struggling and we hear that. And so how do we minister into that? And I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. And by the way, everything that I'm saying here, you can take notes, but I have a little handout. um, But I didn't want you to have it beforehand so that you'd be looking ahead of me where I'm going. But C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Amen. (laughs) C.S. Lewis catches it. Yes, we know we're commanded to forgive, but... We as counselors, and here's kind of the heart of where I want us to go, we as counselors need to recognize that there will be times where we need to help people understand what forgiveness is and what it is not. And we need to, in that process, ultimately point them to Jesus Christ as the one who empowers them to forgive. And so when you or I come to a situation where somebody is struggling with forgiveness, as a counselor, as a brother or sister in the Lord, it is going to be often essential for us to understand what is forgiveness, what is it not. Because if we're clear on that, then we can ultimately, I believe, point people back to Jesus Christ as the one who empowers them to forgive. And so in my experience, I want to talk about just four four reasons why potentially people often struggle with forgiveness offering up the forgiveness that that they've granted, why people struggle with forgiveness. Here's the first one. I find that people struggle with forgiveness because they do not know what it is. People can grow up in church, but this concept of forgiveness, you sit them down. I find that a lot of people struggle and they don't understand whether or not they've actually forgiven somebody because they don't know what it is. And for us as counselors, as Christians, it's important that we know what forgiveness is. And so what is forgiveness? In fact, I'm not going to ask you to work through a definition, but if, if somebody just came to you and said, what does it mean to forgive? What is, what is forgiveness? I just wonder what comes through your mind. What would you communicate to them? Ultimately, God's word equips us to be able to know how to answer that question. But let me just give you a couple definitions that kind of work, at least for me. You can take them or leave them. One of them's from Tim Keller. So, I mean, hey, how can you? A little bit better authority. But... Here's the, often the definition of forgiveness that I work from. Forgiveness is releasing someone from their debt, their liability, to suffer punishment or penalty for their sin against you. What is forgiveness, biblically speaking? It's releasing someone from their debt, from their liability, from what they owe to suffer punishment or penalty for their sin against you. Keller finesses it a little bit more when he says forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. He goes on to say, and at the same time recognizing that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. We'll talk about that last part a little bit. Let me say it one more time. Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you, and at the same time recognizing that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. 
You see, in explaining to someone the concept of forgiveness, I like to often start by giving them an illustration. Because when you come to this thing, forgiveness, you see God calls us to do it. What does it really mean? Because because when somebody has been sinned against, they feel hurt and they feel pain, and they don't always understand why they're feeling that way. And so there's an illustration that I like to use that many have used before me, so it's not new to me. But it helps people to get their minds around this concept of releasing someone from their debt to suffer punishment for what they owe you. And so think about how monetary debt works for a minute. If I have a friend who comes over to my home, and let's pretend I have a lamp in my living room, and they go and they sit down in my living room, and as they get up, as we're about to have, have dinner, the, the guy makes a gesture with his arms, and he swings his arms open, and there's a, a, a lamp that's right there on the stand that's next to him, and he knocks that lamp over, and it falls to the floor, and it crashes, and it breaks. In that moment, the lamp is broken, and it's been broken by my friend who, who came over. That lamp has value, and it has value to me. Let's just pretend for a moment that that lamp costs $50. And so as my friend breaks that lamp, it's his responsibility. He was the one that broke it. And so there's a, a debt that is owed to me. Either my friend can go and he can make payment and replace that lamp, pay the $50, replace my lamp, Or in that moment, what I can choose to do is I can choose to absorb that loss. And so I'm either out a lamp and $50 and no light in my living room, or I can choose to absorb the loss by buying a new lamp. And so then I pay the $50 to replace it. And I say, you know what? Your debt to me for this lamp that you broke, it's no longer owed. I'm going to cover it. I'm going to pay for it. And so we go from there. I'm releasing him from the debt that he owes me. And so when someone wrongs us or when we wrong somebody else, biblically what is happening is that a debt is created because you and I, we experience some kind of loss. Now, it's not necessarily a monetary loss like the loss of a lamp, but we feel and we know and we experience loss. The loss could look like this. It could look like the loss of a reputation. Somebody slanders us. Slander is a sin. And as they slander us and they say things about us that are untrue, then what we're potentially losing is a reputation in the eyes of others because of the sin of somebody else. This debt is being created. There's a loss of reputation. When somebody sins against us, another debt that can be created is is innocence. There can be the loss of innocence when somebody wrongs us, when they expose us to something that we should not have been exposed to. When we're in that position, there's this loss of reputation. There's this loss of innocence. We're experiencing loss. Sometimes people sin against us, and there's a loss of opportunity. There's a loss of time. There can even be a loss of relationship. You see... When there is sin between two individuals, a loss is experienced. It's real, it can be felt, and it is not always monetary, but it can also be physical. You, I, as the victim, the offended party, you feel in that moment that they owe you because something has been taken from you, and that person is liable for the loss that you've suffered. 
And so when we think about sin between two people, and when we think about the need for forgiveness, this is what we're talking about. The person that is there talking with you, you, if you've been sitting at you've experienced some form of a loss. And so to give category to that can be ultimately helpful for the person that you're ministering to. But what we need to do is that when a debt is owed to an individual because of what someone has done to him or to her, we need to let them know that they are presented with two options. There's two options that are presented to you when somebody sins against you, especially when you think about forgiveness as this thing because you've experienced loss, so you can do one of two things. The first thing you can do is you can take payments on the debt from that person. (laughs) When someone sins against you, often we look to exact payment from the person for what they did to us. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, it looks something like this. We dwell on their wrong. I've experienced this loss, and so I'm taking payment by just continually thinking about what it is that you did, what a wicked, horrible, evil person you are. And so we keep dwelling on the incident. We constantly remind the offender of the terrible thing that they did. That's another way that we take payment. We continue to make them pay. Do you remember what you did to me? Remember what you said to me? That girl, Beth, time and time again, she recounted to me how many times she used that against her mother. And I remember her mother coming in and saying, I said this one time, and she continually brings it back. It hurt her so bad, but she wanted her mom to know time and time again. The other way that we make people pay or that we take payments from them is we, we're cold and aloof. We simply box them out. We set up boundaries against them. You did this to me, so I'm going to have nothing to do with you. We give up on the relationship. This is a way that we make payment or that we take payments. We inflict emotional pain. You said that about me. Well, wait till you hear what I have to say about you. We make people pay. We gossip about them. Something that ultimately does no good, but we sometimes do, is that we secretly just root in our hearts that bad things will happen to the person. (laughs) We just sit back and we just hope and we just desire to see them suffer. So we can either take payments from that person. And, and by the way, in counseling, here's, here's something that's so important for us. is This is a real option, and this is the option that we often go to a lot, don't we? We, we make them pay. We, we, we try to exact from them something. We want them to know and experience the same pain that we have felt and experienced. But here's something that I think God has called us to ultimately speak into people's lives, and that is this. We need to let people know that when you look to take payment from somebody for the sin that they have committed against you, there is an emotional and mental toil that that person who has been sinned against will experience by withholding forgiveness. And here's why. If all you and I do is demand payment for real or perceived sins from people, the mental record that you would have to keep becomes in an Excel spreadsheet that goes on and on and on and on. There is a mental and emotional toil that you will experience by seeking to exact repayment for all the sins that people commit against you. Because you're 
You're just looking at faces. And when you look at those faces, all you see is all the wrongs. And so you build this Excel spreadsheet in your mind of all the things that are owed to you. And to keep track of that, (laughs) to stay focused on that, it becomes literally crushing. But the second thing that we have to realize is that if we are going to withhold forgiveness, if we're going to hold on to the debt that someone owes us for what they did, we have to come face to face with this question, how will we know when enough is enough? It's not just the fact that you owe me, but when will your repayment match what I have suffered in my loss How do we know that they have sufficiently paid for what they have done? This is a reality that people have to be aware of. You can withhold forgiveness, but in the process of doing so, you will eventually become overwhelmed mentally and emotionally. And how do you ever know when enough is enough? I shared with somebody one time, I said, look, if you're going to go down this road, your life will become only and always about making sure that people pay for the sins against you. And there's going to become room for nothing else. And in fact, what you do is you pick up the mantle of judge, jury, and executioner in the process. Are you willing to go down that road? Because if you're going to exact payment from everyone who sins against you, this is what you must do. Counselees must hear this. And I believe this is why this statement, I don't know who first said it, but many have said it, and it is a powerful one. This is why I believe this statement is so true. Unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping others will die. I mean, that's, that really sums it up, and that's why. Because of the emotional, the mental anguish that it ultimately creates. So option number one when we're talking about forgiveness, is that you can take payment on the debt from that person or the other option is you can make payments yourself on that debt. What do we mean by that? If you have your Bibles here tonight, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 18. This is a significant passage, words from the Lord Jesus Christ himself to help us begin to get our minds around what forgiveness really is great passage to take a counselee to great passage even for our own hearts to just kind of dwell on and we'll come back to this in, at the very end but here's the story Peter comes to Jesus and he says to him that great question it's found in other gospels in different places but it comes and he says Lord how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times, that was kind of the going rate back then. This is what we heard the rabbi say. And Jesus said to him, oh, no, 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 no. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he goes and he says, all right, that's just kind of the big theological phrase, 70 times seven. But let's break it down practically. Let me illustrate for you what I'm talking about here so you don't get fixated on numbers. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Jesus is like, here's the story. There's a king. People owe him money. And so he calls in all of the debt. And this one servant owes him, you know, scholars go back and forth what it is. I'm going to say it's $3 billion, right? It's just an astronomical figure that he couldn't repay. And so when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not repay, there's a shocker, 
$3 billion. His master, the king, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. In response to this, it says, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, and saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. That's not ever going to (laughs) happen. It's a big lie. But he's calling for mercy, and so the king says, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, and what? Forgave him the debt. But when that same servant then went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a few days' worth of, of wages, and he seized him. He began to choke this servant, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him the exact same words that this guy just said to the king who he owed $3 billion to. This other servant comes to that servant and says, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But the servant, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. There's an understatement. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful illustration of what Jesus wants his disciples and ultimately us as his followers to be able to comprehend and to grasp about what true forgiveness is and what it's about. Who's the king in the story? Who does it ultimately represent? It represents God himself. And this first servant that comes to him represents us and the magnitude of our sins. And and Jesus comes and says, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. And you guys, in comparison to God the king... And he comes and he says, look at what this king does. He forgives. He releases this servant from his debt. The king is still out $3 billion, right? There is a loss that that king still experiences because the servant took that money from him. And yet he doesn't exact payment. Instead, he absorbs the debt. He makes the payment himself. And so that's what this story is intended to demonstrate The king didn't take payment from the slave, but he made payment. He absorbed the debt, and that is what Jesus is coming and saying, this is what it means to forgive. The reason that Jesus gave this parable is because he wants us to understand forgiveness from God's perspective, not ours. And he wants us to understand and to see that ultimately this is what God does for us in and through Jesus Christ. When we think about forgiveness, when we talk about forgiveness, I think that people often struggle with forgiveness because they do not know what it is. And so one of the first things that we need to be clear about with them is to walk them through that, to give them a biblical picture and a biblical understanding of the fact that forgiveness is releasing someone from the debt that they owe you for their sin against you. And so you have two options. You can either take payment from them for the loss that you've experienced, or you can choose, as Christ illustrates in this parable, to absorb that debt 
yourself. Now, when you begin to communicate with people about forgiveness in this way, it becomes, becomes very apparent to them that when we do forgive, it's not that you need to feel a certain way. That's not what forgiveness is. And forgiveness is not simply just not remembering the offense anymore because some people think that forgiveness is it's a, it's a way that I need to feel towards a person or I've only truly forgiven them when I just simply don't remember it anymore. We're going to talk more about that. And forgiveness is definitely not saying that I'm just covering up this and pretending as though it never happened or it's excusing this and that's not what forgiveness ultimately is. And so I found it's very, very helpful when we counsel people. Do we as counselors, do we just even as Christians really have a biblical category for being able to know what forgiveness ultimately is? But that's just one of the reasons why people struggle. Yeah. I, I just wonder if maybe you're touching on this down the road. Sure. Forgive that in Luke 17, 3 and 4 it says, if he repents. Yes. Forgive. Yeah. So I. That's another. Yeah. Twins to it. I'm gonna. If you stay around to the end, I'll answer that question. It won't be in this, uh, in the notes, but I will, I will answer that question because. All right, fine, you got me. I'll do this. Um, I'll deviate just be just for you because. Uh, go to Colossians chapter three for a minute. We're gonna spend some time there, but let's just jump there because this is important. As I prefaced, I'm not gonna be able to say everything on forgiveness that could be said, but this is important. Uh, I, I questioned whether or not I would put it in my notes. I didn't, but since it was asked, let's look at it. Colossians chapter 3. Remember in that passage, and let's go back to verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, God's word is very clear that if somebody comes to you and they repent, that God's word instructs us, nay, commands us, that we are to forgive. Paul, though, expands upon this by saying that not only are you to forgive the person, but in the language here in Colossians chapter 3, and I'll break it down just in a second, Paul is indicating to us that we are to have a posture already in our hearts of forgiveness of the person before they ever even come and ask us for forgiveness. And we say that because in the context, Paul says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, here's the interesting thing. He's talking to the person who has a complaint against somebody else. Why do they have a complaint against somebody else? Because that person has sinned against them. And so the Apostle Paul here is he's coming and he's saying, before the person comes to you, you should be in that place of forgiving them. And so the scripture is clear. There is a way in which when someone sins, we should go as Christians and we should repent and we should seek forgiveness in order that we might be reconciled. But Paul, very clearly here in Colossians, is indicating to us that before that moment even comes, if one has a complaint against another, the person who has that complaint, because the person has sinned against them, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And Paul, in this text, gives no indication that the person has already come to you and sought your forgiveness. And I know, and you can go in Jay Adams' writings and some others, not everybody sees this in necessarily the same way. But when we come and we look at God's word and it says, and forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, 
I think there could be something to be said for the fact that my sin, your sin, has been addressed by Jesus Christ on the cross. The reality of the experiencing that and knowing the forgiveness of Jesus Christ comes to me much, much later. But I believe that it's important for us and as we counsel individuals that it's not all of a sudden when somebody comes to you and says, will you forgive me, that your heart at that moment is going to be prepared to forgive if you have not yet first already resolved. And we'll look at this in the fourth point of how Christ has already forgiven us. And so Paul is conditioning our forgiveness on the fact that we already understand that there is no sin that you could commit against me that is greater than the sin that I have already been forgiven, you have already been forgiven by Christ. And so if I understand that, then I'm already in what I call the posture of being prepared to forgive. Yeah? We can have that forgiving attitude, and we can determine that we're going to forgive those who come and seek forgiveness. Yes. But we have to be wise as well. Mm-hmm. If you have a mother coming to you who discovers her husband's molesting her children mm-hmm. and brings them to the elders, and this is a true story from oh, sure. years ago. And so the wife brings the husband to the elders, mm-hmm. and the elders say, George, you need to ask your wife and your daughter for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. He asks them for forgiveness. The elders say, and now you have to let the husband come. Right, home. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, forgiveness is only one step in the process of reconciliation. Yeah. And so, so that's a fuller discussion. That's why I gave myself the caveat that we're just talking about forgiveness because it's essential for us to understand that. And as we counsel and as we minister with people, there are those things that will happen that we say, look, forgiveness here is, is a part of a reconciliation process, but wisdom needs to be decided. Trust needs to be rebuilt. In fact, I'll talk about that. And if, if I don't get to some of these things, then we'll talk some more about it. Um, but, uh, but, that's, but these are important things. These are things that we have to be able to wrestle, wrestle through. Um, and so when we're, when we're talking about forgiveness, going back, let me give you a second reason why people will struggle with it or, or they won't know if they've actually forgiven in their hearts, and it's simply this. People struggle with forgiveness because they do not know why they are to forgive. And again, they can know what forgiveness is, but, but okay, I understand that on a theological level. I see the example here in Matthew 18, and I see the words of Jesus, but, but why do we forgive? It's essential for us to lay that groundwork. And so you could come to somebody, based upon what we see here in Colossians and Ephesians and Luke and Mark and Matthew, and we could say, yeah, well, you forgive because you've been commanded to forgive. And we'd have some footing to stand on. And we could tell people, God's word calls you to forgive, so you must forgive. But isn't it a beautiful thing in the kindness of the Lord that in Colossians and in Ephesians, God chooses to make sure that we root our forgiveness in the foundation for why we forgive in the truth that you and I have already been forgiven. We forgive because we are forgiven. That's the foundation. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has what? Forgiven you. Again, he picks up the theme. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Ephesians 4.32. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What amazingly precious words that we need to hear. 
This ultimately is what I will point us to about what continues to move us to forgiveness. But Paul is saying that the forgiveness that we have experienced is, as I said a moment ago, significant enough for us to forgive anyone's sin. This is what Paul, this is what Christ grounds our forgiveness in. Again, I want to just turn over to Colossians for a minute. When we come to the book of Colossians, we see Paul continually pointing us back to this truth. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, he says these words, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's Christ. So we see this exaltation of Jesus, God in the flesh coming. And then he says, And through him, this one is who is God in the flesh, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. For us to know forgiveness cost Jesus Christ his his life. And so one of the things I find that becomes so helpful in those that we're counseling is we can say, this is what forgiveness is, but why do you ultimately do this? What is this rooted and grounded in? We need to be clear with them about not just what forgiveness is, but why we do it. And that it's rooted and grounded in what Jesus Christ has done for us and how God has come to forgive us. One other passage there in Colossians. If you flip over in your Bibles, or I flip over in mine's at least, you come and you see this in Colossians 2, verse 13. I'm going to reference this at the end, but this is a powerful passage, 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us some of our trespasses. <laughs> Is that what it says? Having forgiven us all our trespasses by, here's the language, folks, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's great passages to point people to, to remind our own hearts in, because what we are called to do in forgiveness we first see demonstrated towards us in and through Jesus. So people can struggle with forgiveness because they don't know what it is. It's good for us to illustrate it, to give them definition to it. It's also good for us to point people to when they're struggling with forgiveness, why it is that we ultimately forgive. But a third reason here this evening that I want to share with you is that I found people struggle with forgiveness because ultimately they do not know how to do it what it actually looks like, what it practically means on, on the ground. They can get it in a theological sense, and they, can, and they can understand the why. But for instance, Eric, who came to me and who was struggling with the fact of whether or not he had actually forgiven his wife for what she had done, at the end of the day, it was because not he didn't understand what forgiveness was, and it wasn't because he didn't understand why he was to forgive, but because he didn't understand on a practical level what it, what it meant for him. And so if you've ever read the Peacemaker materials, some of what I'm going to be saying here is familiar. Really, if you've read any gospel-centered teaching on forgiveness and reconciliation, you'll find some of this here. I've just nuanced it a little bit differently. 
And so we need to help people understand that when we forgive, what's happening is we are saying that we are going to refuse to take vengeance or inflict pain on the other person. And so on a practical level, when he says, I'm releasing you from the debt that you owe me, I am not going to inflict upon you pain, nor am I going to seek vengeance from you. And so forgiveness is not excusing or denying that sin or evil has, has happened. And forgiveness is not covering up crimes committed against us. Because uh, for, for one of the individuals, it wasn't Beth or Eric that I was talking to, another individual that came for, to me for counseling, they felt like by forgiving, what they were doing was they were simply covering up the sin that had been committed against them. It was a situation where... Two people in ministry had served together on a, on a board, go figure, and there was conflict that had happened because of what one person said about the other person. And, and they said, if the person comes to me and they ask me to forgive them and I forgive them, then I, I just simply, I'm just covering it up. And that's not what it is. It's saying that we're not going to take vengeance or inflict pain upon another person. And here's an important passage for us to rest in, Romans 12, 19. You probably know this, but let's just hear it one more time. Beloved... Sometimes you should avenge yourselves. Is that what it says? Now let me read it to you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If sin isn't ultimately dealt with in this life, it will be dealt with in the next. This is a sobering, sobering truth. But it's not you, and it's not me being the instruments, not being God's hand of judgment on that person. Don't get me wrong. There can be consequences for someone's sin. Even if they come and they ask you for forgiveness and you grant that forgiveness, it doesn't mean that they will not experience consequences. But it's just the fact that I'm not going to be the instrument for that. I'm going to leave that to the institutions that God has ordained, and I'm going to leave it to God himself. And so when we forgive, one of the things that we're coming is we're saying that. So people need to know that. It also means that we're going to promise not to dwell on the incident any longer. You're probably familiar with that. Jeremiah 31, 34 is that great passage for it says, God says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. One of the things that Eric was struggling with so much when he came to me was this truth. He was struggling with the fact that the incident kept coming up in his mind time and time again. And, and so I had to help him work through this and to understand that, that remembering the sin no more is not the same as forgetting when somebody sins against us and we say that I'm forgiving, and what that means is I'm not going to continue to dwell on this incident, Forgive it, forgetting is a passive process. It's letting the matter fade away from memory merely with the passing of time. I love watching as, as a grown adult now interacting with my parents and recounting stories of things that we've experienced together as a family or things that we've done and watching my beloved mother look at me with just completely dazed look and saying, I don't remember that. <laughs> and I said, because you're getting old. <laughs> I say that in love and she, and she laughs. But, but forgetting is a passive process and that's not what God does. It's not that he's simply saying that I will, when he says I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Forgiving is an active process involving a conscious choice and a deliberate course of action. 
God just can't simply forget, as we even heard earlier. He's omniscient. So similarly, when we forgive, we must choose to draw on God's grace and consciously decide not to think about what someone has done to hurt us. Forgiveness isn't a matter of whether we forget, but listen to me, forgiveness is a matter of how we remember. And I think this is the number one place people struggle. They, they don't understand this concept of forgiveness because when someone wrongs you, you see things, you feel things, you hear things that bring you back to the place often of the sin that has been committed against you. And even if you've come and you've said the words, I forgive you, you're, you're putting that place, not because of your own doing, but because of circumstances, because of time, whatever it is, where all of a sudden those things come back into your mind. And so simply the fact that you're coming back into your mind does not mean that you haven't forgiven them. It's in that moment of what am I going to do with those thoughts when they come to me? Am I going to continue to dwell on this incident or am I going to continue to look back to Jesus and remember that ultimately that sin has been covered? I have offered that forgiveness. And so what I tell counselees is there's only one way that you cannot dwell on the wounds you have received that were created by others. The only way that I cannot dwell on the wounds that I've received, the only way that I cannot sit there when I remember what was done to me, what was said about me, is to instead dwell on the wounds that Christ received on my account. And so Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, is very important. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help those who are struggling to understand that forgiveness is simply not ever thinking and remembering those things ever again because we can't just simply put them away and block them out. But instead, when they come back to mind, we're not dwelling on it. So people have to know that. This dear brother, Eric, he was struggling. He says, I see these things and I'm reminded of it. And he said, it's in those moments where it's not the fact that you have not forgiven. It's, it's now the question of, are you going to keep dwelling on this incident? Or are you going to instead look to Christ? We need to help people process through that. One of the other things that's part of forgiveness is the choice to not bring up the incident and use it against the other person. That's why we talk about forgiveness is when people need to know, what does it mean to not take payments from somebody else? It means I'm not going to keep bringing up the incident against you in a very, very practical way. I'm not going to keep accusing you of the thing that I have chosen by God's grace to release you from. You know who the great accuser is. I'm so appreciative of what Heath Lambert had to say. The devil's the reality. Satan is the great accuser. And so when we keep bringing the incident up time and time again, we're not manifesting who we are in Christ and the righteousness that we've received and the forgiveness that we've received. We're following in the footsteps of the great accuser. So we don't look to bring the incident up time and time again. To forgive, just as the Lord has forgiven you, is, is to recognize that just as he doesn't bring my sin, oh, praise God that he doesn't bring our sins up against us time and time and time again. And so that's what we're ultimately modeling. There's a song written by Alanis Morissette back in the 90s. And uh, one of the anthems, one of the lines in her song really fits with how the world views it when somebody's wronged us. She says those, those words, I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you went away. That's not what God has done for us. And so we need to help people understand that if you're not bringing those things up against them, if you're not using it against them, that's a manifestation of the forgiveness that you've ultimately granted. 
want to be sensitive to time, let me run through these next two. Um, the one is pretty straightforward. We need to help them to understand that we're not going to talk about the incident. We do not talk to others about the incident. We don't go around taking repayment from them. We need to understand that part of what it means to forgive is that when we forgive, we're not talking about it with others. We're not slandering. We're not gossiping. We're not going down that road. And finally, when we do forgive, it means that we're not going to allow the incident to keep us from loving our neighbor. This is so significant because when we talk about forgiveness and helping people to understand what it actually is and what it looks like, it means that we're not, it's not going to keep us from loving our neighbor. We're called to love your neighbor as yourself, and then Jesus does this crazy thing. He says you're also to love your enemy because somebody could come and say, yeah, I love my neighbor, but that guy over there, my enemy... No way. Jesus says we don't only just love our neighbor, but we love our enemy. What does, that, what does that look like? What that means for us, I believe, is that when we're called to love, is that we are not going to manifest the work of the flesh, as Galatians says. We're not going to use the other person's sin as occasion to live out according to the flesh, but we are going to, as far as God would enable us in interaction with them, to live in the spirit towards that person, to show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, to a point that I won't have time to go over right now in its fullness, let's just be very clear. What we're not saying here is that forgiveness means that there's a restoration of trust automatically. Trust comes ultimately over time. There is wisdom. Our forgiveness of an individual is built on positive experiences. And so, with somebody who has sinned against us, who we offer forgiveness to, while we can still demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit towards them, it does not necessarily mean that trust can be fully restored because they might be untrustworthy. But just because they're untrustworthy doesn't mean I get the get free out of showing you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, in explaining to people what forgiveness is and what it actually looks like in a practical way, what we're coming to them and what we're demonstrating to them is this truth. The truth that we're demonstrating to them is that when we choose to forgive, we are saying that we're going to refuse to take vengeance or inflict pain on the other person. We're going to promise not to dwell on the incident against the person, and we are not ultimately going to cause this incident to allow us to cease loving them. Because can you imagine? Let's just go on the converse of all those things. If we come and we say that we're not going to forgive, then what we're saying is that it's okay to take vengeance it's okay to keep dwelling on the incident. It's okay to bring the incident up and use it against the person. It's okay to not talk, or it's okay to talk to others about the incident. And it's okay to not look to love them anymore. So we help people, I believe, who are struggling to forgive by sharing with them what forgiveness is. We help them by letting them understand why it is that they ultimately forgive. We can help them by demonstrating to them what forgiveness actually looks like on a practical level, how we do it. And fourthly and finally, and I close with this, we can help people forgive by having them put their eyes back on Jesus. This is so, so significant. People struggle with forgiveness, I believe, often because they 
take their eyes off of, off of Christ. You see, only when you and I understand the magnitude of our forgiveness will we be able to truly forgive. And so the person who comes and who says, I'm struggling with whether or not to forgive, many times what I've found is they've just simply taken their eyes off of Christ. They've gotten fixated on the person and the wrong that was done, forgetting, not dwelling in the forgiveness that they have experienced. But if you have been forgiven... And you understand that forgiveness. If you read a passage like Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we'll begin to see our hearts being to move to a place of forgiveness. So remind people of the good news of the gospel. Remind them that God has chosen not to take payment on your sin debt, but instead God has chosen to make payment on your sin debt by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to suffer and to die in their place and your place. The good news of the gospel, praise Jesus, is that the debt you owe God has been absorbed and it has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. They need to hear that message. They need to get their eyes back on the one who has so greatly forgiven him, forgiven them. And when Horatio Spafford wrote that great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, those words ring all the more true when you talk about a topic like forgiveness. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. He has to say it twice. (laughs) And so may the Lord help us. May he help you in your heart, maybe even today, those who you'll minister to, to continually point them back to Christ, to help them to recognize what true forgiveness is, how it is ultimately accomplished, why it is done. And may we even leave this place tonight knowing that beautiful truth. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, not in part, Praise Jesus. Nothing left for you and I to do but the whole. May the Lord help us. Let me pray and then we'll answer some questions. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the marvelous grace that has been lavished upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ. That what we know today is the pronouncement by you, our Heavenly Father and the King. Your debt is canceled. Your sins are forgiven. It has been nailed to the cross, paid in full. Lord, thank you for the proclamation of that truth. Help us by your spirit and the wisdom of your word to go from this place and to know how to take these truths with us wherever we go so that we might see them applied to hearts and minds, even our own that so desperately need to hear them so that they so that we might know the freedom that the gospel brings instead of the bondage that sin brings. And this is possible through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we praise you and we praise him. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.